It's not like any other podcast. Coming to you straight from Eastern Iowa, where apartment ownership and investing is told like it is. It's time for Darren Garman's Apartment Specialist Podcast. Hold on, because here comes the next episode of the Apartment Specialist Podcast. Well, hey everybody, Darren Garman here, and welcome to this week's podcast, where we're going to be talking about my easy-to-implement top three litmus tests that I use when making a decision of go or no go, um, invest in and buy or not buy, uh, take a shot at purchasing or not purchasing an apartment community. And uh, a lot of times we like to overcomplicate things. Um, Sometimes I think as like human beings, we just do that just inherently. And when it comes to Apartment communities, uh, a lot of times there are folks that will get uh, kind of intimidated, I guess, with a back, uh, lack of a better way of describing it, uh, when it comes to reviewing, taking a look at, dealing with all of the different nuances of investing in and purchasing and due diligence and financing and, and all those kinds of things. Um, of course, a lot of that depends on whether you're an active investor or passive investor, of course. Passive, you don't deal with any of that. Uh, active, you deal with all of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I really, it really comes down to three things for me. So in other words, another way of looking at this is if I don't get a, uh, if I don't feel excited about either of these three items, it's got to be all three of these items. I, I already know it's not going to be a property we're going to be interested in. It's not going to be a property that any of my partnerships are going to want to purchase. It's not going to be an apartment community that I'm going to uh, recommend to any of my investors or partners. And so I thought it would be a good idea today in this week's podcast to share my top three litmus tests with you. Uh, So you can either, if you're a passive investor, you can at least keep those in mind as you're reviewing opportunities that may cross your desk. And if you're an active investor, I mean, these will really really hit home. But either way, these are three great litmus tests for you to know about whether you're active or passive. Okay. Uh, But first, before we get into the podcast, just a couple of quick housekeeping items. Um, Number one, a reminder that we are running out of room for our upcoming Heartland Investment Multifamily Investment Summit. Uh, We're having two Heartland Investment Summits uh, strictly dealing with multifamily uh, apartment investing. Uh, this is a uh, summit for active or passive investors. It is for serious investors, and I'm limiting each uh, of these, each of the attendance numbers for this, each of the summits to 15. That's it. So only 15 investors are allowed to each of the summits. Uh, so I can spend as much uh, one-on-one quality time with everybody and uh, versus having a boot camp or conference or room packed full of people and um, and you're dealing with hundreds of other people and, and you're not really as effective as you could be. I mean, that's how important I think this is. And so the summit dates are uh, January 13th, which is coming up very fast, and March 9th. So... Uh, you will want to make sure you reserve your spot. The time is getting down to crunch time here uh, as we uh, really speed fast towards the end of the year. Uh, 
And so for more information on the Heartland Investment Summit, uh, what I cover in the Multifamily Investment Summit, especially for serious multifamily investors looking to get to the next level with their income and wealth by owning apartment communities, either passive or active, uh, the entire outline of what I will be covering at the summit is located at www.heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. That's heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. And then you can also, uh, if you're interested, let me know uh, on that website whether you're thinking January 13th or March 9th might be the date for you. And again, a couple of quick things before I leave this uh, subject of the summit. Uh, number one, we are heading towards a rental society more and more. Uh, and if you are a serious investor really looking to uh, jump your income, your returns, your net worth, uh, this is a place you want to be. You don't want to miss this. Uh, really, that's the bottom line. Uh, the cost, there is no cost to attend. So it's not as if you're paying me a bunch of money to come. It's free. Um, there is no cost and there is no sales pitching going on. So in other words, it's not as if you come and there's four or five guys that'll get up and talk and then want to sell you a, a bunch of books and tapes or CDs or courses. There are, there will be no pitching, no sales. It is an informational summit where we go over everything you need to know to be massively successful as an apartment community investor, either active or passive in 2020 and beyond. Again, March 9th and January 13th are those dates for details on everything we'll cover at the summit and to make sure you lock in your space, your one of 15 spaces, you go to heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. All right, let's jump into this week's podcast where I'm going to be talking about my top three litmus tests. And this is really, when you, uh, let me just kind of do a little sidebar here. You always want to have your red flags up whenever someone approaches you and says, easy. Um, so, in other, whenever anybody says it's easy, the red flags need to go up. So here's what I mean. Um, when someone wants to sell something to you, uh, a lot of times you'll look at the information and it will tell you how easy it is. So for example, in the mail today, I got this um, letter on how this book, if I would buy this one book, how easy it would be for me to 10x my income, how easy it would be for me to lose 25 pounds and be totally ripped with 3% body fat. How easy it would be uh, for me to attract any kind of uh, person of the opposite sex that I want. Now, I'm married, and, and so that really doesn't apply to me. But uh, in other words, I'm just saying this letter basically told me how easy everything would be and how easy my life would be if I just got this one book. <laughs> And so this is, uh, this analogy and this one I'm telling you, I mean, we, th this can apply to about anything. Uh, and so you already know when I'm looking at this, it's a bunch of bullshit and it's not easy. Nothing is easy. And, um, and to fall for the line of, you know, the easy 
way to riches or the easy way to a 25% return on your money or an easy way to lose 30 pounds, well, that's total bullshit, okay? Uh, and that's the case with most everything that is pitched, sold, communicated to you as easy, okay? Um, so what I'm going to talk about today, I, I give you this little preface because on this podcast, what I am going to tell you are three easy litmus tests. And I don't mean easy in terms of um, applying them and using them to make decisions on whether it may be whether the apartment community you're considering, whether you're active or passive investor is one that you, you really want to uh, decide to get involved in. But it's easy to know what they are. Okay, So you won't have to take uh, eight classes at the university. You won't have to read 10 real estate books. You won't have to listen to eight different real estate podcasts in order to get this and to have this work for you. Okay. That's the good news. Uh, I mean, the bad news is once you know these things, I mean, you do have a little bit of work in front of you, which is not easy to really get to the bottom of everything. But the good news is you'll know what the three easy litmus tests are. And, and then you, you'll know that you can apply these three litmus tests and at least have a really quick to use um, litmus test, or in this case test, to know whether it's going to be worth your spending your time on, right? Because if once you get serious into investing in multifamily communities, you'll typically want to invest in more and more and invest over and over again, okay? I mean, that's just typically the way it works with my with myself and with my top investors, at least. And so knowing these three litmus tests going in saves you a hell of a lot of time. If this is an area you want to get serious about. A hell of a lot of time. And really, that's the main reason uh, I wanted to share this information with you today is to not only, of course, have you save a lot of time, but also so you can avoid any mistakes moving forward. Okay, let's jump into what those three litmus tests are. Litmus test number one is not a surprise, but I do it does need a little more explanation. So on the surface, you may think, well, hell, Darren, I know that. Everybody knows that. That's real estate 101. But we do need to go, kind of go next level on this because it is important. Um, and it is location. So the, my first litmus test before I do anything, before I even look at any numbers, I look at any property pro forma information. I look at the pretty property pictures. I read through whatever um, marketing material there is. Before I do anything, I want to know where it's located. Okay, where is the property located? Um, so let me give you a couple of examples. So I received a marketing piece uh, in an email from a gentleman looking to sell uh, a very good size apartment community uh, in a city in the Midwest. Okay. And so uh, I spent 15 seconds looking at it and decided, no, it's not for me. I'm moving on. So I, in 15 seconds, I saved myself oh, eight to 10 hours worth of time and I already know it's not going to be a property I'm going to be interested in. The size was perfect. Size looked good. It was 100 plus units. 
the age was good. So that, I mean, so on the surface so far it looked good, but then I found, I looked and saw where it was located. And so it was located in a community that is unstable and growth is stagnant or in many cases, or in probably the cases, growth is probably um, decreasing year after year. Okay. So we are all aware of cities, towns, communities that just don't really have much going on, um, going on at all, uh, especially economically. Or those communities are tied to maybe one or two of the area's largest, largest employers. And holy shit, if something happens to one of those employers, I mean, the city's pretty much a ghost town or the town's pretty much a ghost town, right? Um, well, those are communities that I avoid because I already know the location is depending on the economic viability of the community that the property is located in. And if the economic viability of the community the property is located in is not very good, or if the outlook doesn't look good, or if historically hasn't been very good, then I'm running away. I want to go to communities that have proven track records and are continuing to work on growth, development, and in making their community better. Okay. I want to I want to own properties and locations where communities are spending money to get better, not spending money to keep things the status quo. Or in some cases, not hardly spending any money or any time and having negative growth. And you all know and I know of many communities that are like that that uh, you just know uh, it's probably not the best place to own real estate. Okay. Um, let me give you, I, I'll give you a couple of examples. So, uh, and this one is a mistake. So a partner and I, many years ago, purchased a, a repo property on five acres of land. Beautiful property on five acres, a 24-unit repo, uh, bank repossession. And it's all brick, in great shape, uh, and we bought it for, uh, I want to say like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars a unit. Okay, so think about this: bank repossession, twelve or thirteen thousand dollars a unit. It's on five acres of land, beautiful trees. I mean, there's growth, there's there's, there's expansion possibilities. The property's in good shape. Uh, I mean, it's not perfect, but it is, it's a nice property, and we bought it for $12,000 a unit, okay? This 24-unit property during the six years that we owned it, what do you think our best occupancy was out of 24 units in six years? 18 units. That's right. So over a six-year period of time, the best occupancy we could get in this property. And when I say get, I mean having the kind of tenants we would want to live there, okay, was 18. Why? The economic viability of the community that we purchased this apartment community in was not good. Depended on one employer that had layoffs, ups and downs over the years, and hardly any other economic activity was happening 
uh, in this community. So what happens? You have a property that you pretty much end up selling for what you paid for it six years prior. Um, you go, now let's talk about larger communities like cities, okay? Um, if you're not quite sure about the location, you go and you check it out or you get on your computer and you check it out or you have somebody get boots on the ground to check it out. And if around the apartment community that you're considering, where it's located, if it looks like there's growth, there's nice neighborhoods, there's some development going on, there's pride of ownership in the properties in and around the area that you're considering owning, there's some retail, uh, it looks pretty vibrant and it looks like things are, are, are moving pretty good, then that's a great sign. But if you go there and uh, the houses across the street are worn down, there's a whole bunch of junk parked in the, in, in the lawn, uh, people don't take care of their properties. Uh, the commercial properties three blocks away have for lease signs on them that, that you can tell have been there now for probably a couple years. There's broken windows on the commercial properties. They're just sitting there. There's some guy's old camper abandoned in the parking lot. I mean, that just kind of tells you, right? Um, and so, you know, those are two quick examples. And in the examples I gave you, it doesn't really matter in terms of size. This, this could be 24 units or 240 units, okay? Um, if you don't have a property in a location that's got great economic things going on around it in that community and or around that area is in an area that's in decline, you have no interest in taking step two. You stop. Why even... Why even spend the time? Okay? So, litmus test number one is location. But as you can tell, you have to drill a little bit deeper, take a little bit closer look, and once you're done with that, if, if you feel good about the area the community's in, what's going on in terms of growth possibilities, over the, what, what growth has happened over the, over the years, and what you see in the future, not only in the community as a whole, but in that little micro one to two mile radius of that property. If you feel good about that, then you go on to, to litmus test number two. But if not, you're already done. Move on to the next one. And the property that I got from, uh, from this person, as I mentioned earlier, was in that kind of community that was not growing. The properties around it were, were, were starting to be in disrepair. And you just knew you were buying into something that was not going to increase or be attractive to anyone sometime down the road when it comes to when it comes to selling. I'll talk more about that here in just a minute. So location number one, not a surprise, but a little bit uh, a little bit more drilling down on that for you to consider as you're using that first litmus test. Litmus test number two. So again, remember we don't go to litmus test number two until we feel good about litmus test number one, right? Okay, so litmus test number two is this. Can I realistically raise the rents right away? Um, and can I realistically reduce the expenses right away? If the answer is yes, then you pass litmus test number two. And for me, it has to be both. Both rents and both expenses can be improved right away. Okay, now 
This is going to take, I want to dig into this a little bit because there's a whole bunch of different interpretations you can have from this. So when I talk about this, now here's the important part. The rents need to be increased without me putting a significant amount of capital into the property in the first place. A lot of times, a lot of uh, owners, uh, real estate brokers especially, will pitch and try to sell you the reposition. Um, property is primed to be repositioned, uh, upgrades to the units, upgrades to the common areas. And uh, it's, it's almost as if they say, well, you wave the magic wand of pumping in tens of millions of dollars into this property, and you'll be able to raise the rents through the roof, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, it ain't that easy. Never is. Back to my easy comment earlier, right? Um, no, my litmus test is, you, need, you can raise the rents the way it sits right now. You can reduce the expenses the way it sits right now. Not have to first put in millions, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of dollars first, then we can get the rents that we want. No. No. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about being able to do that right now with the property, with the product we have. So let me give you a couple of examples. Okay, Let's talk about the rent side of things. So the first thing you need to know is every owner, every broker will always tell you you can always get more rent. Then you'll hear the excuse as to why the rents are where they are. Well, Mabel's lived in the apartment, you know, these, these ladies have lived in their apartments for 15 years. We just really don't really like to raise their rent. Or, or Frank is kind of does a little bit of our maintenance around here, so we keep his rent where it's at. Or, I mean, there's always excuses. And it it's always gets back to, well, you know, once you take over, then you can worry about raising the rent. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of justification as to why they don't raise rents. And you see this more than you think. Because a lot of times I'll talk with, uh, prospective investors. And, and the question they have is, well, Darren, if the guy can get $100 more a month per unit, I'm confused. Why in the hell doesn't he just get $100 more per unit for his apartment? And that's a logical question. And I can tell you the vast majority, the vast majority of owners don't. Why? Because they're afraid, because of fear. They're afraid the tenant's going to move out. They're afraid they're going to have a vacancy. They're afraid it's going to be vacant for a long time. Then there's probably money they got to put into the property if it becomes vacant. Maybe we've got to put new floor coverings in, maybe new countertops, et cetera, et cetera. That's why it happens. And the landlords want to be liked. The owners want to be liked. So they're afraid that if they raise rents now, the tenants aren't going to like them. They're going to hate them. They're going to think you're a bad landlord, slumlord, whatever. <clears throat> Those are the two main reasons. And I see it all the time. All the time. And it happens a lot. And so when I get that question, uh, you know, people are surprised to hear that landlords and, and apartment communities. And by the way, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how big the community is. I see it all the time. Fear um, and wanting to be liked. Those are the two main reasons. But those are all good. That's good news for us if we're on, on this litmus test number two. Okay. And so when I look at it, uh, back to the rents, I take a look at the rent roll. Uh, I take a look at the size of the units. I then take a look at what I believe the market rate should be 
for that size unit. And if there's a if there's a pretty nice difference between the two, then I really get excited. So here's my example. We recently purchased um, uh, 90 plus units property, or a little less than 100 units. <clears throat> the owner of these units hadn't raised rents in the majority of these apartments for over five years. Okay, the only time he would raise rent is when he would have a turnover. And even when that would happen, he would only raise rent, for example, $5 a month, $10 a month. He would never raise rents. He just didn't like to. Why? <clears throat> because he's busy with other things in his life and didn't want to deal with the time, effort, and energy of turnover to get the units to market rents. So he would rather not deal with all of the things that we've already talked about and keep the rents where they are versus raise the rents. So just to give you an idea, the rental rates on these two-bedroom, bath-and-a-half apartments were $485 a month. Well, in the market that I'm looking at this property in, I know for a similar property, similar condition, similar location, again, I'm talking about not putting any capital into the property at this point in time. I know I can rent that same exact apartment for $600 a month easily, and arguably $625 to $650. But let's say I know I can get $600. So I've got $100 plus a month room in my rents for dozens and dozens and dozens of apartments. Again, without having to go in and put a bunch of money into the property. That is ideal, and that's what gets you excited. Okay? Um, so that's part of my litmus test. Based on the property in its existing condition, knowing what I know about where the rents are and the rents that can, I can achieve, can I realistically raise the rents uh, significantly over the next uh, 12 to 18 months? You know, and I say 12 to 18 months because sometimes these communities have leases. Maybe the residents have six months, 12 months, et cetera, left in their lease. So that's why I typically go 12 to 18 months. If the answer is yes, then that's a check mark on my litmus test box. And again, you'll find these more often than you think. You won't find them all the time. So it's not, you know, as if everybody, it's, it's not as if this is everywhere, but you will find this more often than you think. And it's exciting when you do. Uh, but remember, that's only part one of litmus test number two. Part two is the expenses. Can I realistically reduce the expenses? Um, and in this case, with these 98 units, I knew that I could lower three key expense at radio, expenses that the current owners had. Uh, one was property taxes. One was insurance costs. And one was staff and repair and maintenance, okay? What they're spending on staff and repair and maintenance costs. And when I say lower, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about reducing the expenses probably five to nine, five to 10%. I'm not talking, I mean, anything better than that, of course, is great. But I'm talking reducing the expenses five to 10%, okay? Without 
changing any of the amenities the tenants have or any risk. So for example, um, insurance. Uh, the current owner was paying um, approximately $2,500 a year more than what I obtained for insurance for the exact same coverage. Okay. Um, property taxes. Uh, I know what to do to protest the taxes to get them lowered. Okay. Uh, repair and maintenance costs. Uh, um, I know how to go through the process of saving money on things that we buy and purchase from floor coverings to other things. And staff, um, not, that, not that this owner is doing a bad job in managing staff, but I know that I've got some efficiencies with staff that I, uh, that I can implement. And all of a sudden, I've got redu reducing expenses. Uh, now, again, you don't have to drill down that deep. It can be as simple as, can you lower the property taxes, the insurance, and can you do some things regarding repair and maintenance or utility costs? So another one is, can you pass the utility costs through to the tenants realistically? So if you're paying the heat and the water, the gas, for example, if it's natural gas and you're paying the water, can you pass those through to the tenants? Right? So if the answer to that is yes, I want you to think about this. So we'll take a look at my example. So this 98 unit property, I know I can raise the rents about $100 a month per unit, and I know I can reduce my expenses about 10%. How profitable of a property do you think this is going to be? I already know. It's gonna be freaking amazing. Will it take us a little time to get there? Sure. It'll take us about a year, 18 months or so to get there. But I know we can realistically get there. Now, what's the common denominator of everything that I've just mentioned to you so far regarding litmus test number two? When I find out, can I realistically increase the rents and can I realistically reduce the expenses? Have I talked about putting any money into the property yet? Have I talked about putting a whole bunch of capital into the property first before we can do this? No. No. I don't know about you, but I don't like to roll the dice and hope that all of my costs for a complete renovation and gut job come out exactly where I think they will, uh, and I'll be able to get the exact numbers I think, and all the planets align, and everything works out, and it comes out perfect. How often do you think that happens? That's right, it rarely does. Right? It rarely does. So, litmus test number two. That's a biggie. Um, so let's say you've, you've checked off litmus test number one. You've checked off litmus test number two. Now, the easiest one of all, litmus test number three. Can you sell this property for a profit within the next five to ten years? That's the question you ask yourself. Okay. Can you realistically sell this property at a profit in the next five to 10 years. Now, you don't need to know how much of a profit at this point in time. You don't need to spend a bunch of time spreadsheeting this and getting you know, 100 different spreadsheets and formulas to figure this out. It's really just a general idea, a general thing to do. After you've gone through your first two litmus tests, the third question you ask yourself is, 
well, after all of this, can I sell this for a profit in the next five to 10 years? Knowing where it's located, knowing what the rental income is going to be, knowing what the property is probably going to be like when I picture this property, this community in my mind, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, where it's at its location, you know, within that one to two mile concentric circle radius, knowing what's going to happen, I think, over the next five to 10 years. Know what's going to happen in the community overall in the next five or 10 years, growing, not growing, stagnant. Knowing what I can do to the income stream, raise those rents, reduce those expenses. I put all that together. Now, can I sell this for a profit in the next five to 10 years? The answer is, yeah, I should be able to. Then you really start getting serious about owning this property as an active or passive owner. Okay? Because sometimes the answer is no. You see, sometimes you will come across properties where the numbers look absolutely amazing. And I see this a lot on uh, either like packages of single family homes in um, middle to lower income areas, or I see uh, like converted commercial properties that have been converted into uh, residential or converted houses or houses that have been converted into apartments or sleeping rooms. I see this a lot. So, uh, so for example, an apartment community that my brokerage company has for sale right now, the cash flow is about an 18% return income-wise. Okay? Sounds great, doesn't it? Well, the property is located in a very low income area that has a lot of crime, police calls, issues on a weekly basis. So what do you think the resale of that property will be? Right? What do you think? Numbers look great. Can I raise the rent? Yeah. Can I reduce the expenses? Yeah. Um, but is somebody going to want to buy the damn thing? How long is it going to take me to sell it? A year? Two years? Will I have to use some kind of owner financing just to sell it? Will I have to discount the price just to sell it? So once you start having those kinds of thoughts and conversations, then you know that it doesn't pass litmus test number three. Um, so back to my original property I talked about at the beginning of this podcast where I said, you know, a gentleman sent me property uh, a couple hundred units in um, another community here in the Midwest. And it's a community that I know from a resale standpoint, five to 10 years from now, do I think I can sell that property for a profit? Well, based on where it's at, no. I don't feel that I can do that. I don't think that's gonna happen. And when you have that thought, even though you may have a successful litmus test number one, Maybe you may have a successful litmus test number two. If you feel that you're not going to be able to sell it for a profit, then why do it? Now, litmus test number three does tie into number one, right? It does tie into number one. But sometimes you will run into properties where the location is very good. Maybe the numbers are okay, but maybe you can't get as much out of this property in the next five to 10 years as you think. 
Maybe there's something going on in the area. Maybe there's something going on with the property taxes. Maybe there's a tax abatement. Maybe so there's a lot of other things that could affect number three. That's why you ask the question. Can I resell this property for a profit in five to 10 years? And the answer is better be, well, after I've looked at everything, yeah, I think I can. And again, you don't have to spreadsheet the crap out of it. You don't have to do you know, four days of analysis to come up with that answer. Pretty simple. Okay, it takes some time to do, but it's a pretty simple litmus test. So I've given you three of my litmus tests that I use every time. And I can tell you that it is a numbers game. So 10%, probably a little less than 10% of the properties that I take the next step into, into looking at owning pass these litmus tests. 90% plus don't. 90% don't. Uh, that's just the way it is. It is a numbers game. Uh, and in some cases, it is a little bit like needle in a haystack because of that. But if you follow these three easy to implement litmus tests, then you take the time to do the work on these litmus tests, you will be successful 99 out of 100 times in making a ton of money on your next apartment community investment acquisition. All right? So I hope this podcast this week has given you some good information. I hope you've gotten a lot out of it. And if you have any comments, would love to hear from you. Feel free to comment and get back to me on your thoughts. And you have a great day, a great week, a great month. And have a wonderful, wonderful day. We'll talk to you later. See you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey again, guys, Darren Garman here with just a quick reminder on my Heartland Investment Summit. Remember, January 13th and March 9th, we're only limiting attendance to 15 serious investors at the summit. Uh, the cost is absolutely free to attend, but you need to be a serious investor to get an idea of exactly what we will cover at the summit and how you can take your investment game to the next level. Simply go to www.heartlandinvestmentsummit.com, www.heartlandinvestmentsummit.com. All right, take care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Apartment Specialist Podcast. For investment questions, comments, or to get in touch with Darren, go to www.heartlandinvestmentrealestate.com.